0: Well, here the second one is due to concentration. So in other words, the concentration becomes much stronger in the second one, and it has to, because it still has to become stronger yet. The internal confidence which arises is a very important part of the second jhana, and because of that, one should never skip it in the process. It's, strangely enough, the one that many people do skip, not intentionally, of course, because one wouldn't do that, would be foolish, but because we are not used to having inner joy. Most people don't even know what it's like. In fact, they probably never even used the word before hearing about the second jhana. Now here in the wording, it says rapture and happiness due to concentration. From a practical standpoint, what happens is that the rapture, which is the delightful sensation of the first jhana, sticks around. That factor is there, PT is there. But in order to come from the first to the second jhana, one has to let go of the attention on that very delightful sensation which overrides the emotion, let go of that, let it go into the background of the attention, in other words do not consider it so important anymore and put the full attention on what is translated here as happiness and what I prefer to call joy. It's just a matter of Translation. It's a joy because we are enjoying this delightful sensation, the state of mind we're in, where the delightful sensation was the aspect of the meditation, and having enjoyed that to the full, we now put our attention on that enjoying. From a practical standpoint again, It very often appears as if it came out of the center here. And very often it appears to have um, a quality of being a little fountain. Now, none of that is entirely necessary. Whatever happens is fine as long as it's joy. Um, Again, the Buddha says that we need to completely cover ourselves with it and the body is being used because this is the only re- reference point we have. It's the only reference point for what we're doing. So we feel the joy us, uh, us from head to toe. Very often, or for some people, it is just a natural progression from one to the next. And which is, of course, the case, because if one enjoys something very much, the joy is there. However, because the physical sensation can be extremely strong, it is just as well to deliberately focus on the emotion. And in other suttas, where the jhanas are explained, the Buddha says also, that we, uh, recognizing the fact that this is still gross because it is a sensation we now go to that which is more fine and more subtle which is the emotion which means that we recognize the fact that we are not meditating in order to have delightful sensations which is logical but when one is in it one it's not uncommon that one has to be reminded of it. Most people have an inner urge to go further. It's very rare that anybody would be satisfied with that. However, that too happens particularly in cases where people have meditated for over 20 years and never got anywhere at all and then finally get there and then of course they're very happy and so they take that as a as a landing point but it is otherwise quite uncommon to be satisfied with delightful sensation particularly because we have already noticed that they too are impermanent and that although they have a residual effect on us we cannot take them with us constantly we come back to our ordinary everyday kind of consciousness so it is quite alright to deliberately focus on the emotion which means nothing but a change of focus both are already existing the five factors of the first jhana where initial and sustained application, the delightful sensation, the piti, the happiness, sukha, and the one-pointedness. So they are all there. However, it's a change of focus. Instead of having the mind focused on the sensation one takes it off that, lets it go in the background where it will be and focus on the emotional aspect which is existing at that time because this particular state of meditative progress brings inner self-confidence it is of course important the inner self-confidence arises out of the understanding that here we have a way of happiness, which is completely independent from outer conditions. We no longer have to search for an outer condition that will bring us happiness. That search is sometimes successful and often not. Even if it's successful, it doesn't last. And besides, one is a victim because we do not have any jurisdiction over outer conditions to the last degree. We can make some of them happen, sense contacts, but we can never make sure that they remain that way. There's always disappointment somewhere. And being dependent upon the emotions or thought processes of other people which is usually the case, in order to find happiness with other people, is again a kind of situation where one becomes a victim. One one cannot be in charge of one's own inner happiness. Here we have then found the way to have inner happiness strictly because of the condition of concentration. This is still conditioned. It's certainly not unconditioned, but at least it's a condition which we ourselves can make arise. We don't have to wait for anybody to be nice and pleasant to us. We don't have to wait for anybody to praise us, to appreciate us, to love us. We don't have to wait for any sense contact to be pleasing. All we have to do is sit down and become concentrated. And since there is nobody that has um, a functioning mind, cannot be concentrated, everybody can do it. It's a matter of time. It's also a matter of determination and quite often a matter of overcoming some karmic obstructions, but everybody That has a functioning mind can do it. It is also interesting that over the years it has often um, appeared that people who do them, the jhanas, in the meditation uh, courses, then remember having done them as a child. It's not uncommon at all. And in the Buddha's case, this was also so. When he was about 12 years old, his father, who was the king of a small kingdom, went out for the plowing festival. And the plowing festival is one of the festivals which is still in uh, use in many of the Asian countries. It means that the king or maybe just the um, mayor of a district will go out with a well decorated plow and turn over in spring the first sod and then monks uh, chant blessings and the whole um, neighborhood is there to take part in that blessing well the father did that, they went to the plowing festival and he took the 12-year-old crown prince along and he was supposed to also have a hand on that plough to be sort of part of this festival but when it came time for the father to go with the plough and turn over the first sword, the son could nowhere to be found was nowhere to be seen so he sent out one of his ministers to find him and he finally found him sitting under a tree meditating now this minister having grown up in that kind of environment immediately recognized that the boy was meditating and did not disturb him which in our society probably would not have happened We probably would have have scolded him and told him what he is sitting there doing nothing so he went back to the father and said your son is meditating I didn't like to disturb him and the father said alright that's fine and he went ahead with his plowing festival on his own when the Buddha then as he was still the Bodhisattva left the the palace and went to study with two teachers to learn the jhanas and was taught what to do he remembered that when he was 12 years old or when he was a boy he had sat under that tree and had actually done that and so it wasn't all that difficult for him to do it again and this is something that I've been told quite a number of times by people who then recognise the jhanas of course they first have to do them again to recognize it that this was something they did as children and I would um, guess, it's just guesswork, that far more children do it than we ever find out about. And unfortunately, as grown-ups, they don't get near it again, so they can't repeat it then. It seems to be a quite a natural thing to do. And it's, as I said, possible for anyone. There's nobody exempt from it. This internal confidence which arises because of being happy without outer conditions has quite wide-reaching effects in our daily life. We don't go searching so much for things that can make us happy. On the contrary, compassion impels to try and make others happy not through the wrong way of flattery or uh, just um, agreeing to whatever somebody is saying but by trying also to help along this path to find that same happiness The search for happiness, which is inbred in every living being, has, so to say, found a stage. It's not complete, but it has found a stage where the outer world, out there, does not seem so enticing anymore. And when it doesn't seem so enticing anymore, it can't be so disappointing. So there's a big change in the inner life. The self-confidence means that one is self-reliant for one's own happiness, for one's own well-being. Totally self-reliant without expecting that others have a part in it, if they do, If they're helpful and loving, that's great. But if they don't, it doesn't matter because something is within which is already taking care of that. The uh, concentration at this time is of course much stronger than at the initial one, at the first one and it is also more interesting. Although the first one appears very interesting, one has never had it before, it becomes pretty uninteresting after having had it for 10 or 12 times because it's just, well, it's pleasant, but uh, it's still quite physical. Whereas this is emotional. And when one has that the first time, that's also very... Um, surprising but also that is becomes quite normal it has a sweetness in it a feeling of sweetness it has a feeling of having found something but it's still a bit exciting the first one is still is quite exciting has a bit of excitement in it and the second one is um I still have that feeling of excitement in it. I'll read out what the Buddha, the simile that the Buddha gave for for it. Great King, suppose there were a deep lake whose waters welled up from below. It would have no inlet for water from east, west, north or south nor would it be refilled from time to time with showers of rain. Yet a current of cool water welling up from within the lake would drench, steep, saturate, and suffuse the whole lake, so that there would be no part of that entire lake which is not suffused with the cool water. In the same way, great king, the meditator drenches, steeps, saturates, and suffuses his body with a rapture and happiness born of concentration so that there is no part of the entire body which is not suffused by this rapture and happiness. This too great king is a visible fruit of recluse of spiritual life, more excellent and sublime than the previous ones. That there is no inlet for water from east, west, north or south, nor could it be refilled from the showers of rain. Yet there is this current of cool water Nothing comes from outside. There is no outside input into making a person happy. It's all coming from within. That's a simile of that. And then there's this cool water which wells up from within, the joy which wells up from within. It drenches, steeps, saturates, and suffuses. If these states arise, first or second, either way. And they're only mild and only very um, local in one spot, it's necessary to enlarge them. If the joy is apparently only in one spot, to enlarge it all over. It may be a quick movement, but it can also be a slow Um, gradual movement of the mind to enlarge that when one is concentrated enough to get into second jhana one is also concentrated enough to do that there's no not difficult at all the same applies to the first jhana when the pleasant feeling should be only localized in one spot sometimes only hands or some place like that to enlarge it, so that the whole body is involved. Now, obviously, an emotion is not something that is body-based, but, on the other hand, it is the only measure of limitation that we have about ourselves. This is me. So, this is where we drench and suffuse. The first four of the jhanas are called the rupa jhanas rupa means corporality or physical so that's translated as to the fine material meditative absorptions nice long words for rupa jhana but it's important to know because the first four have aspects which we actually know and are familiar with only in a much less concentrated manner, and the quality is by no means as great, and also they have to arise from outside conditions. So we all know pleasant sensations and touch sensations, we all know those but they are due to an outside source and also their lens the lasting of them is determined because of the sense contact whereas here the lens is only determined through our concentration as long as we want to stay on it, we'll stay on it the quality of it of the pleasant sensation that we know in ordinary life and the delightful sensation that we know in the meditation is also different. Because this is not caused by an outside agent, it is sweeter. And this is particularly true of the second one, of the joy. Now we all have been joyful at one time or another about something or another but because this is not caused through any outside happening but just comes wells up from inside it has far more purity in it and also we do not have that dependency on anything so we don't have to keep it we don't have to hanker after after it because we recognize the fact that we have it within, it is in there and that makes it a much purer experience so although these four, first four jhanas are states which we are familiar with and that's why they're called the material ones but the fine material ones they are of a different quality It is interesting that very often people go from the first to the third and are not aware of the second. Not everybody, but it happens quite frequently. And it's absolutely essential to go back and get the second one also. Because this joy is the this happiness that was mentioned already as the antidote against restlessness and worry. If we want to have peacefulness within, which is the opposite of restlessness, and the opposite of worry, we do have to have the ability to arouse joy within without having to look for any agent. The dependency which we have, as long as we use our senses, is a feeling of insecurity. Fear is a human condition, Insecurity is a human condition. That's why the biggest buildings are usually owned by insurance companies. We're always looking for something that's going to ensure our safety. We've got it all within. We don't have to pay a penny for it. It's all free. The reason we can't get at it is because we think too much. Not only too much, But we judge. We um, have negativity in our thinking. We have discrimination between what we like and what we don't like. In other words, we have duality thinking. We're constantly enmeshed in duality. What I want and what I don't want, what I like and what I don't like, what I'm going to have and what I'm not going to have, and what he has and she has, and so on and so on. The less we have of that in our daily living, the easier it is to get at this. It's all within. It's all existing in there. We cannot possibly put it in. It's all there. We need the peace and quiet and the um, happiness of knowing we're on the right path in order to get to that concentration. If you remember, the last section before the Buddha started talking about the jhanas was about the fact that we are so happy because we are sitting there without the hindrances and when the mind becomes happy like that then there is rapture and then there is um, peacefulness in the mind and then we can start getting concentrated so the less we get the m- less allow the mind to get upset to get uh, worried to uh, have plans, to go by its memories, to have all these ideas that we can conjure up. The less we allow that, the easiest to get at it. Eventually, we have to have a pathway which will get us there always. That's why at the end of the meditation, either when the mind's no longer concentrated or when meditation time is over, it's necessary to first see that this too is impermanent and then recap. What did I do to get there? Eventually the recap is no longer necessary because we know exactly how to get there. But to see that it's impermanent is always necessary because it is also important to know that all the jhanas, as desirable as they may be, are all worldly states. They are not transcending the world yet. Although they help us to do this, because each one brings insight, it hasn't happened yet. They show us the way, they explain the way quite clearly, but it has to happen. So they are still mundane states. Therefore, we have to know that they too are impermanent. While we may know it, we have to actually experience it while they are slowly dissipating. And therefore it's necessary that should the bell go while one is still in it, not to open the eyes immediately, but to slowly become aware of the dissipation of that state, even though it may have a residual effect, it still isn't as strong anymore as it was. Have the recap And then slowly and gently open one's eyes, move the body, and slowly and gently get up. Slowly. There's no hurry. We're all there already where we want to be. We just don't know about it. That's all. We haven't noticed it yet. The truth is always there. Absolute truth is always within us. Absolute truth is always existing. It's just that we haven't noticed it. That's all one could compare that to watching TV. It looks so real, doesn't it? And while we look at it and think it's so real, we become quite engrossed in what's going on there on the movie screen. But in reality, it's just a moving picture which has been put on a screen, which is always this, whether we know it or not. So the reality is always there, whether we pay attention or not doesn't make any difference. And by the same token, the reality of inner joy is always within us. Whether we know it or not makes no difference. If we have too much other stuff within, we won't know it. But if we can, and especially of course in a retreat situation such as this, it should be easier, if we can let go of a lot of this stuff that we're carrying around, and which is nothing but a heavy burden, then we will notice that this is there. And having noticed it once, one should be able to get at it again. It's always waiting. It's never disappearing. Because this counteracts restlessness and worry so effectively, we need to stay on it for a little while. As soon as it has arisen, the mind may fall off it again, but we can bring it right back and stay with it for some time. If we have done it many times, we will know exactly where and how to find it and having found it, to enjoy it, be suffused by it, drenched by it. Again, the mind will know quite clearly that that too is still a bit exciting and that one's really looking for peace. And because having been on this joy for a proper length of time, because of that, the mind is contented and it can let go of the joy and be aware of contentment. That's the third jhana, and I'll read out what the Buddha said about it. Further, great king, with the fading away of rapture, the meditator dwells in equanimity, mindful and clearly comprehending and experiences happiness Thus he enters and dwells in the jhana, of which the Noble Ones declare, he dwells happily with equanimity and mindfulness. He drenches, deep saturates and suffuses the body with this happiness, free from rapture, so that there is no part of the entire body which is not suffused by this happiness. All these words are all <laughs> arbitrary translations. The word rapture, is meant for the PT, for the delightful sensation. So that goes now. That has been around long enough and because the meditator is completely contented, that part of the factors is now completely subsiding. So that's gone. There is certainly a feeling of happiness still in the mind, but the most, the strongest, what is, that is arising is contentment. And this contentment is here mentioned as equanimity. And the word equanimity is unfortunately bandied about in the jhanas too much because we can't distinguish too well if we have it mentioned too often. So I'm not using it. I want to use contentment. But you can see that contentment and equanimity have a certain uh, relationship to each other. But what is actually happening is that the joy, which is something one's always looking for, always looking to be happy, has suffused one to to the extent where contentment arises. And this contentment can be seen and understood in this way, particularly after. And this is also important. One first stays with those emotions and after one is out of them, in that recapitulation, one recognizes what they have meant. So the joy has meant that one doesn't need outside agents. Now the contentment has meant that the only way to become contented is to be without wishes. Because at that moment, when there is this joy arising and has been actually experienced, and one is able to let go of it, there is no wish. One is totally contented. So this is totally opposed to the worldly view. The worldly view is, I'm going to be contented if I'm going to get what I want. And then one makes a list of the things one wants. And then one crosses off a few things one has already got, and one may cross off a few things which one thinks, well, they're not that important. And then one remains with those that one has to be in order to be contented. Totally uh, wrong view. As long as one wishes for something, one has Dukkha. That's the first and second noble truth, which is the, um, sort of the kernel of the teaching. The first noble truth, the noble truth of Dukkha, that it exists. And the second noble truth is the noble truth of the cause for Dukkha, which is craving, which means wanting something wanting to have it or wanting to get rid of it. And here we have an absolute proof in our own experience that this is so. That as long as we want something, there's always going to be Dukkha, no matter what it is. Because it means that we haven't got it. So we have something lacking. We're minus something. But here is a situation that has arisen in the meditation which has brought contentment. It has to. Completely To be completely suffused with joy cannot bring anything else except contentment. It has to. These are logical cause and effect situations. So with that contentment, after coming out of it, one sees quite clearly there's no other way to be contented, to be peaceful, than to stop wanting things. Whatever it is and may it ever look so justified. Even when when one can say, but everybody's got it, only I haven't got it. Well, it doesn't matter. If one wants contentment and peacefulness, one's got to stop wanting. There's no other way. And this, of course, at first may seem strange, but when one has experienced it oneself in the third jhana, it is so obvious that one wonders why one hasn't always acted upon it already. But we don't until we actually have that personal experience. Now what you can see from these explanations is that we don't just do the jhanas, that is the experience, we have to understand it also. And that is the insight. The experience is the way of calm and tranquility. And the understood experience is the way of insight. So every jhana brings a new insight, and some of them insights which arise may even be more than what I'm talking about, and they may be different, but these are the significant ones, the ones which will change our outlook completely. So the personal experience of something that we've always wanted, namely inner joy and contentment, brings about a turnabout in one's approach to one's life and what life has to offer. Because being contented means also that there is peace in the mind, contentment, the feeling of contentment, slides into peacefulness. Now here, the words, with mindfulness and clear comprehension are used, which means that we need to understand the experience. The mindfulness means that we're staying with it. That's the one-pointedness. But the comprehending is afterwards. That it comes together with the recap or the review what we have done. So, I like to emphasize that once more, that while we're having the experience, we're staying with the experience. After it's over, we have a review of it, and we know what we have experienced. The Buddha also gives a simile for this third one, Now he also mentions that the noble ones declare that one dwells happily with this contentment and mindfulness. So what is the, the main focus is on their contentment and the mindfulness is the one-pointedness. So in this jhana, we still have two of the five factors. First we had five factors. Then we lost two factors on the second jhana. Now we have lost another factor. We have lost the, the uh, rapture factor. So we still have the happiness and the mindfulness, which is another word for the one-pointedness. This is in the third jhana. We have two factors left. Great king, suppose in a lotus pond there were blue, white, or red lotuses that have been born in the water, grow in the water, and never rise up above the water, but flourish immersed in the water. From their tips to their roots, they would be drenched, steeped, saturated, and suffused, so that there would be no part of those lotuses not suffused with cool water. In the same way, great king, the meditator drenches, steeps, saturates and suffuses the body with the happiness free from rapture so that there's no part of the entire body which is not suffused by this happiness now this in the translation does not come about exactly as it does up there because here up here we had equanimity It's a matter of translating all these words so this too great king is a visible fruit of the spiritual life, more excellent and sublime than the previous ones. While the rapture is gone, the happiness is in the background and the foreground is the equanimity, is the contentment. So the um, each jhana is more subtle, each jhana is more sublime than the previous one and jhana brings a change in a person's outlook if one practices them continually they are all useful for gaining insight most people have heard many a time that Our dukkha is due to wanting. But when one experiences that the contentment we can get in the third jhana is so much greater than anything we've ever felt before and that it's strictly due to the fact that nothing at all was wanted, then we know it. We always compare that to biting into the mango. If we've never eaten a mango and we ask somebody what it tastes like, they will probably tell us that it's very sweet, very juicy, very soft, very delicious. Well, we haven't got a clue what it tastes like until we've bitten into it. Here, we bite into it. We know what it tastes like to have no wish. It's the best taste that we can ever get. There is a very interesting simile given in the Visuddhimaga, which is the great commentary, on the jhanas, and I'll give it to you because it's helpful. It says like this, as a person wandering in the desert, having no water, seeing no water, parched, without any resource at all. Well, that's a person that's trying to meditate. (laughs) And then finally, sees some water in the distance and a great excitement arises that his great thirst will be quenched because he can see there's water there. And this is very joyous excitement. Now that's the first jhana. And then, of course, he goes straight to that pond of water and he stands at the edge. And standing at the edge, he is joyful that he can now have the water that he's been looking for but still excited about it because now it's going to happen and then he goes into this water and starts drinking and now he's contented and having drunk his fill he steps out of the water and goes to the nearest tree, and lies down in the shade, and rests. And that's the fourth one. Having had one's fill, one goes to the fourth one that goes to the rest. So I'll read out what the Buddha said about the fourth one. Further great king, with the abandoning of pleasure and pain, with the previous passing away of joy and grief the meditator enters and dwells in the fourth jhana which is neither pleasant nor painful contains mindfulness fully purified by equanimity he sits suffusing his body with a pure bright mind so that there is no part of the entire body not suffused by a pure bright mind what this um, says is that there is no emotion, there is neither a great uh, excitement, nor one is uh, exhilarated, nor is there any sadness about letting go of the joy or the uh, contentment. The um, What happens is, from a practical standpoint, the contentment which has already sort of slid into a feeling of peacefulness goes much deeper it goes deeper and deeper and although it says here and it always says that it's mindfulness fully purified by equanimity I say that it is the mindfulness is the one pointedness which has to be there which is the last factor which stays with us in the fourth jhana. It is complete and utter peacefulness which results in equanimity which we can use in daily life. The equanimity which, at least to my way of understanding my own uh, emotions, Equanimity is something that we are aware of, whereas in the fourth jhana the peacefulness can be so profound that one wouldn't be aware of the fact that one has equanimity, one would just be there, totally enmeshed and totally surrounded, completely uh, in the depth of this peace. The fourth, so I'd like to translate it a little differently in order to explain it that way. Equanimity as the highest of the four supreme emotions is a result and a very important one because knowing that one can actually have this utterly peaceful state whenever one wants to, when one sits down to meditate, brings great equanimity with it in daily life because that residual effect is such that we know what goes on out there while it may be this way and that way, what can it do to that peacefulness in the fourth jhana? Nothing. It has absolutely no effect on it. It is not even connected. Whatever happens out there, whether it is praise or blame, loss or gain, fame or ill-fame, happiness or unhappiness, how can it touch the depths of peace which is within us? There is no connection. So all that, what happens out there, is just happening. And some of it has creates pleasant feelings and some of it creates unpleasant feelings, but that too doesn't matter. That's all just on the surface of our lives. The depth is to be found in the jhana. And that's where we experience the inner reality that what we always knew, either consciously or subconsciously, that we do carry it within, most people know it subconsciously, some people know it consciously, and that most people don't get it, just because they're not shown the way or because they don't practice or whatever it may be. So this equanimity is the effect. And the equanimity, I have already explained that, what it means in daily life, that it means that Although there is a warmth of feeling and a caring for others, there is no dependency upon the happenings that go on around us because the warmth and the feeling for others is not affected by that. Neither is the warmth and the feeling for oneself affected by it. Whether somebody finds us lovable or not, that remains their viewpoint and their opinion and that means that we're no longer a victim but that we have taken our own emotions in hand and when we take our own emotions in hand then of course we have security the name Kema by the way means security it's a translation just remember that. So we gradually and um, progressively let go of the different state, uh, different factors of the jhanas, until we're only left with one-pointedness. Now, this one-pointedness does not have then the interruptions. That we sometimes even get still in the second jhana, and it is I like to compare it to a deep well, where in the beginning at the state stage of contentment we might be sitting on the top of it, dangling our feet into the well and being contented, but as we become more and more concentrated and peaceful, we go down into the well, successively, gradually, progressively, until eventually we may be at the bottom of the well. At the bottom of the well, there's complete and total peace. But you can see already from this simile that it is essential to let go of any self-assertion. Here in the fourth one, Even the observer who observes all that is minimized, is not disappeared, but is minimized because it is such a deep state of relaxation. This is the state, barring the eighth jhana, which brings the greatest energy, rejuvenation and regeneration to the mind. It makes it, therefore, a mind which is clear and sharp, which can see the connections, which can see things as they really are. A mind which does not have that kind of one-pointedness and does, because of that, does not have the ability to have that regeneration and rejuvenation will not be able to see the depth of the teaching the depth of the teaching is even difficult for people who can do the jhanas, never mind for those who can't, because the depth of the calm is intrinsically connected to the depth of the inside. It means depth of mind. A mind which scurries around on the surface is, remains on the surface. And we can philosophize and we can think and we can logically deduce, but that is not gonna bring freedom. The only way we're gonna get freedom is when we can actually feel it. And the feeling comes from this kind of experience. So the fourth one has as a effect the equanimity but it also has as an insight the the understanding that by letting the self-assertion go and making as much self-surrender as is necessary to go into the force means that we can actually gain real peace. So here we have already a taste of what it means To do not have the self always in the front wanting and disliking and being in charge of the whole life situation. Letting go of that in charge self means peace. So again we have a very profound insight from that. And because all direction is to use these for gaining that kind of insight they are far deeper going than just the understanding because we actually have bitten into the mango we know what it tastes like to be without this self-assertion the fourth is then that simile where the person lies down under the tree in the shade completely at peace with him or her and the world and being totally at rest because the mind is totally at rest as much or similar to the eight the eight might be just a fraction more rest um, it has the greatest regeneration aspect and the mind because it gets used all the time needs to be regenerated Anybody who has watched him or herself and has been thinking all day knows how tiring that is. How all one wants is to just skip the whole thing. And so what does one do in ordinary life? One goes to bed hoping to sleep. But that's not the answer either because at night we dream. The only answer is to go into the fourth jhana. Then we can skip the whole thing. Actually, all that thinking that we're doing is totally unnecessary, as every meditator should know, because it's nothing but a disturbance. At times, naturally, there has to be something that we have to attend to, but because we can attend to it with mindfulness, it's not that tiring. It's the discursiveness of the mind the restlessness and the worry, the hoping and the wanting that makes it so tiring. And because of that, we have to be, have that regeneration. As a simile uh, simile for the uh, fourth jhana again. Oh yes, well one of the things which is said also is that it's a pure bright mind. The fourth is pure and bright. It is the purest of those four Because of the fact that all the other factors, the joy and the rapture and the initial and the sustained they're all gone. Only one pointedness is left. So that's the purest of those four states, of course. And of course also the deepest. And therefore it brings also the greatest brightness of mind. Great King, suppose a person were to be sitting covered from the head down by a white cloth so that there would be no part of the entire body not suffused by the white cloth. In the same way, Great King, the meditator sits suffusing the body with a pure bright mind so that there is no part of the entire body not suffused by a pure bright mind. This too, Great King, is a visible fruit of the spiritual life more excellent and sublime than the previous ones well again the body is used as for the simile just as it is used in the other simile that one lies down under the tree because it's all we have um, we, it is a completeness of peacefulness at that time the body is not felt but the completeness of being totally and wrapped in the peacefulness is the meaning of this being completely covered with the white cloth from head to toe. Nothing is left out. One is totally in it. So it's a suffusing the body with this pure, bright mind. The purity of the mind is the one-pointedness, and the brightness comes from the peacefulness. The... Peacefulness is not dull. That also has to be remembered when one does these jhanas. The peacefulness is bright. But bright does not mean that it's light opposed to dark. Not necessarily, anyway. It means totally aware. Totally there. That's what brightness means. It's not a dullness. This utter peacefulness has, this, has complete awareness in it, and yet it doesn't have that much movement as the others have. It still has movement, but not as, as much movement, mind movement, as the other three had. It's very, very one-pointed. It is uh, either possible to just move from one to the other because the mind does it, but it is just as valuable to determine to move. The Buddha says that also. uh, Because one realizes that the one one is in is still not as fine, as subtle as it could get. And since one knows where one is moving to, one also knows how to do that. There's also a misconception that one shouldn't know about it. If I don't know where I want to go, it's highly unlikely I'm going to get there. One's got to know where one is going. And there's no reason to make this a secret. The Buddha certainly didn't make any secret out of it. We have many statues of the Buddha where he is depicted with his left hand and the palm, the left palm, turned out over his left knee. And that mudra means that he has taught with an open hand and not a closed fist. These are his own words. He said, I've always taught with an open hand, not a closed fist. I never kept anything secret. So the, uh, the teaching is certainly there to be known and to be used. And that is, again, possible for everyone. One word may be, that may be necessary for those that have not done the jhanas yet, please don't look for anything. Just sit there and be as concentrated as possible. First one has to become concentrated if one is concentrated the rest happens now the first one comes from the seclusion of from the seclusion from the uh, unwholesome states so it is quite helpful to make that determination to see that in oneself that at this point in time there is no unwholesomeness at all and with that happiness comes then also the happiness of that concentration. And then just keep on being concentrated, that's all. Whenever thoughts arise, let the mind quickly go back to the meditation subject. Do not follow the thought. Recognize the fact that thoughts are connected with the world. And the world cannot give total satisfaction So let's just leave the world out at the moment and go inward. Everything we've ever looked for, it's all within us. There's nothing missing, nothing lacking. All of us are all that we ever want to be. We've just got to get at it. That's all. All right, that's enough on the first four. Uh, any questions please this is the time for them oops <laughs> yeah
1: do the jas blend together I mean are they more like say a rainbow where the colors blend into each other than like a stair step where there's a stairs
0: no they're quite different one is quite they're all quite different from each other
1: so it's not possible to like slide from one to the other yes it is
0: okay. it is possible especially if one is skilled at it it's quite possible right but, but, but uh,
1: well like the colors in the rainbow are definitely different from yes. one another but you can't really point and say this is where the red ends and the orange begins it, it just sort of slides into the other
0: color? Well, I would say that as one slides, one doesn't know. But when one has arrived, one knows one's at a different spot.
1: Right. So like if you slid down a rainbow, you would yeah. you would see the red, and then we would know that you'd slid into the green. Yes.
0: Okay. Yes. But at the moment of sliding, one wouldn't be so aware of that sliding. Right. Unless the sliding doesn't happen, then one can do it deliberately. Right. One stuck to the red long enough. (laughs) Okay, what else? I remember questioning is part of uh, the pathway, yes. Uh, How much practice to do in everyday life, you mean? As much time as you've got, I suppose. I don't know. Minimum. Minimum Minimum two hours a day. That's just enough to um, keep. The state going that one has achieved in a retreat, whatever one has, however far one has got, one can just keep that going with two hours a day in in daily life.
1: How about number
0: of retreats a year? I have at least ten to twelve retreats a year. So, I mean, I've constantly retreats. I have nothing else to do.
1: <laughs>
0: so maybe, maybe one—if you—the more retreats one can teach, the more retreats one has. Huh?
1: <laughs> I, I, have,
0: I have no way of saying or knowing anything like that also has a lot to do with one's karma, how long it takes. It's got a lot to do with that. A lot to do with one's devotion, all sorts of things. But it's possible for everyone. There's nobody exempt. And uh, you can be quite sure that in all the courses I give, the um, death, uh, people eventually all get to it. Even though they might not do so in the first course they take, but eventually they will get to it. So you're supposed to interrogate. It said somewhere along the line here, didn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what else? Yes. Yeah. The image of the clear, bright mind I have very beautiful. Does it? you when you're talking about the the one-pointedness it? Is that what they, they sometimes read in, the,
0: in different places they talk about clear light and clear light and I think that's a Tibetan expression is and you know I am absolutely no expert on what they mean and what they say I really can't say clear light I really don't know and you see I would have to know in what context if they're saying it in context of jhanas well yes maybe I really
1: don't know. But these things all have very specific reference to meditative states. Like I'm
0: I don't know. I, well, I can tell you what I mean. If you ask me what I mean, I can exactly tell you what I mean. I can also tell you what the Buddha meant, but I can't tell you what other people mean. I really don't know. I mean, I wish I could tell you, but I really don't know
1: day, is there
0: actual light in the fourth jhana
1: yes.
0: well there is uh, not in the fourth jhana but light appears to some meditators at the time when the concentration is happening and it's actually nothing but a traffic signal. it says hello you're being concentrated now <laughs> and uh, and it is if it is a really concentration, it should have the um, uh, appearance of either sunlight or a a strong um, searchlight, but it could be yellowish or white. It can be either one of those. And as it appears as a small point, and if it does appear to anybody, um, one makes it big and sits in it for a moment and then gets on with it. It's not a meditation subject. It's only a a signal, saying now concentration.
1: This making bigger, um, is it better to be done slowly and gently or quickly?
0: That depends on one's skill. If one has done it many times, just do it like that. But if one hasn't done it many times, slowly, gradually, little by little that it uh, doesn't pop back. <laughs> so not every meditator sees a light, or, or sometimes one time yes and one time no, but it is actually uh, a feature of being concentrated, and one can use it to make it big and sit in it and enjoy it for a moment or for a few moments and then go to the um, jhana. It very often appears before first jhana but not for everybody it also depends whether one is visual people who are very visual they have a lot more things happening and appearing than others does
1: it matter if you're visual
0: or not? not at all the whole thing depends on feeling not at all okay, what else?
1: yes that might it also be the case that if the person is visual that can be a distraction because one gets
0: lost in the it can be it can be a distraction it can also be helpful depending on how one uses it it can easily be a distraction if one has too many pictures going on ok anything else
1: To my mind, when someone is leaving their body and dying, and it's said to follow the light, mm. is it like instant at that moment the possibility of going into a jhana? At that moment of leaving the body, leaving.
0: Well, if one is skilled at the jhanas, one would hopefully be doing them when one is dying, so that there's no no question of whether one can go into them. But with the Buddha, it is said went from the first to the eighth back down to the fourth and died between fourth and fifth because the fine material jhanas which go up to the fourth that was not subtle enough and so between going to the fifth he he died at that stage and Maa who was his left hand disciple was extremely psychic and he said he told the other said that's what he was doing. So if one, I don't know, I mean, we can't compare ourselves to the Buddha, but uh, if one can do the jhanas, and one knows one is dying, one would hopefully do nothing better than that. And then one would die in one of the jhanas. Here's my
1: question, Was also if you haven't practiced the jhanas, and yet in all that i read about dying that follow the light, I was just wondering whether it's something that may happen, it can happen instantly.
0: To go into the jhana, I wouldn't have a clue. I have no idea. All I know is that it's much better to practice them now. <laughs> 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 that I know for sure. <laughs> and not wait till the last moment yes Michael
1: um, is the, the skill of getting into the is something that as years go by when you continue to practice you can just do a, um, almost instantly at will
0: yes, certainly um, but the, the reason I'm saying always please do a recapitulation how you got in so that you find your own personal trigger Now, usually people have personal triggers. um, And there are, you know, some people can use loving-kindness meditation, and it really gets them into it. Some people can use determination. Some people can use um, sitting differently, a physical thing. I had one lady tell me that she has to roll her eyes back. Well, it's all right. I mean, if that gets you in, it's okay, you know. Um, some people have to actually remember that at this point in time they are without any hindrances and have this joy feeling about it, just as it is said here. So one finds one's trigger and as you find now, eventually, having done it so many times, you don't need the trigger. You just do it. It's just a matter of um, intention. Intention in the mind. The mind intends.
1: Also, I, I remember you um, saying one of the unknowable things this one was um, the mind of a Buddha. and
0: The influence of a Buddha.
1: Influence of a Buddha. And what's one of the, the others uh, the influence of a person in jhana? Mm-hmm. What, what
0: does that mean? same thing Uh, a person who can do the jhanas very well and has real concentration certainly has a mind which is like a laser beam and that laser beam if used properly can have good results. but if it's used in the wrong way it can also have bad results. so um if the person is not enlightened so that's why uh, the Buddha was very much against using powers for people who are not Arahants so only an Arahant and he would know exactly an Arahant would know exactly when to use power so the mind of a person in jhana has power and that power is is there and whether one knows it or not it's there and we don't we don't need to inquire, the Buddha said, that what kind of power that is. It's uh, not not um, useful. Yeah.
1: Is the power only while they're in the jhana, or after they come
0: out? Or? Well, while they're in jhana, it is, of course, a much stronger power. Right.
1: But, yeah. but there is, like, some residue
0: or something. Like yes, yeah. certainly. But, uh, again, it is a power which one... Um, which is to be used for enlightenment. Right. That's the power. We That's what it's for.
1: That's why the insight is so much more readily available back mm-hmm. the pajamas. That's right. That the power is there, it's pointed in that direction. That's
0: right. And that's what that power should be used for. Right. You know? And then when one is enlightened, well, then one can do what one likes. <laughs> <laughs> And you don't even have to come to any meditation retreats. <laughs> yes. The imponderables they are called, Michael. The imponderables. The range of a Buddha, the range of a person in jhana, the beginning of the world, and the intricacies of karma. the imponderables.
1: What yes. is meant by that intricacies of karma? You're trying to figure out your karma.
0: Yes, it's not uh, useful. It's not useful to see, well, I'm nowadays I'm having this sort of life and that's due because in my past life uh, I was a Persian dancer or something like that. It's totally useless, you know. It's, uh, the karma is so interwoven. There are so many strands to it. We can't find just one reason for one or one cause for one effect. We've got too many causes.